constructive, positive attitude or enthusiastic attitude really makes a difference for them. So. Consider your current scope of responsibilities and make sure that you are doing everything you can to make that uh, just very best delivery as possible. Creating this dynamic of parents saying we're not getting what we're paying at the same time, we are investing more and more and more. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Here we'll be exploring how international schools are innovating and transforming education around the world. From the latest trends and insights to stories from teachers and administrators, you'll get the inside look to the global education landscape. So join us as we explore what the future of international education has in store. Get ready to be inspired, challenge the status quo, and embrace a world of possibilities. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana podcast brought to you by ISS EDU. I am Mike P, your favorite educator interviewer. And today Dana is not able to be with us, but who we have here will be my co-host Molly Faye, the voice of the audience, if you guys remember her. She is the customer support and technology coordinator for the PD team on ISS. And she will be in place of Dana for today. Molly Faye, how are you? Mike, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be your co-host today. I love it. Before we get started today, just a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. And please visit us on iss.edu slash events in order to see all of our upcoming job fairs, whether they are in person or virtual, and also our upcoming professional developments courses that we have online. And today we are excited to have Laura Benson to join us as our guest speaker today. Laura Benson is an experienced, knowledgeable, and inspiring speaker who brings over 40 years of teaching and leadership experience to her work. Her experience, research, and publications have been cited by many current education scholars, and she's a co-author of Standards and Assessment, the Core of Quality Instruction, Bearing Witness, and multiple articles across very professional journals. Join us as we sh as she shares the insights and experience on creating a life you love and embracing diversity and social justice through education. Laura, how are you today? I'm great. It's such a joy to be with you and Molly Faye. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And our topic today will be around conferring. And we just actually got finished with one of our professional development courses today, earlier this morning. Yeah. And we will, most of my questions will actually be focused around that course today. So there was two parts to it. So we'll go ahead and get started. So my first question has to do, when you were stating that the, the kids have to be independent for conferring to work. So I just right. have a couple questions around that because I think that was very important that you said that, especially at a at a younger age. So I just wanted to know like what are the advantages that conferring would have on student learners in terms of understanding themselves better as thinkers and learners, and how can students be independent and how does that actually help the student as well? Yeah, well, I think it's a great point. Conferring by having a conversation with children, we can give them a conversation that they can have in their head when we're not with them. We can uh, model and practice some ways to talk which are less critical and more constructive and more positive. It's real, very normal for children to get to a place in their learning or for adults 
for me, for any of us, where you can get to a hard part of your learning and you you would likely to say, and any of, any of us would say to ourselves, oh, this is so hard, or oh, I'm so stupid, or gosh, why am I not getting this? Mm-hmm. Just kind of want to give up or be very hard on ourselves. The conversation in a conference is to kind of help kids think and help kids think in a way that helps them construct and sustain understanding, but also generate joy and resilience and stamina for working through the hard parts of learning. So by talking to them, we can gauge their thinking, gauge their confidence at that point in time, and hopefully, you know, be a soft place to land. I think it has so much to do with unconditional love. And as we've talked about these last months, they, you know, having strong relationships with kids, the world is hard right now and hard for a lot of people. So a conference can be just a lovely oasis around relationships, but it also gives us the opportunity to provide more instruction and also assess and evaluate. And I think the idea is, as we talked about today, one of the ways we can frame a conference is around listening, naming, and nudging for evidence of what we've been learning together. And another way we can engage in conferring has a lot to do with reflective thinking and metacognition. What are you learning about yourself today as a writer or from what we did together today in PE? What's something new that you tried or... I know that that kind of math problem was hard for you before, but now I see it kind of in your flow and having more, you know, smiles and more energy. How did you get there? What's worked for you? What turned it around? So we can, you know, the the focus or spirit or intention of conferring is endless, but I think it just has this great capacity to give kids a model for how they can talk to themselves and how they can think and uh, then your second part of your question is around independence and conferring does lean on a community, a class of being engaged in meaningful, relevant, authentic practice, whatever that focus of the class is, whether it's auto shop or math or art or music, that uh, we want to definitely have some time with the kids as a whole group, maybe for a lesson, or sometimes we call it a focus lesson or a mini lesson or some modeling or directions even. <laughs> so you have them together and then you sort of send your little birds out of the nest to go fly on their own and, and practice. So what we were talking about today is just the importance of helping kids get to a point of even a few minutes or hopefully longer amount of practice time Because as they work independently or work independently and or collaboratively, maybe as a small group, then I can go around a classroom and confer with kids, have these focused conversations that are very lasered to what we are studying at that point in time. So you want to help kids be able to linger with books if they're kindergarten readers or be able to engage in some math practice that's relevant and feels uh, compelling if they're seventh graders or whatever the context might be. It tends to work so well in like a kindergarten class, they could be at stations and centers or in an art class, they could be engaged in their art and PE, they could be engaged in exercise, music, they could be, you know, literally playing an instrument. There are places where the independent practice is such a, a big part of each class period, but we really want it to be a part of every class period because learning and doing, actually practicing, 
authentically is how kids are going to get better. And our coaching through conferring is meant to uh, support that growth too. Laura, that's awesome. And you're talking now and in the workshops that I've had the privilege of sitting in on and listening you teach something that's so evident in what you share is just your heart for the heart of the kids, making yeah. them feel valid, making them feel cared for. It's a privilege to be a part of that conversation. So my question kind of stems from that because sure. something I have seen from you and admire from you as well is how wholeheartedly you involve yourself in DEIJ. Even your email signature has quote at the bottom regarding diversity and growing in that. And so what does it look like to engage in those equity-fueled conferring moments that honor students and their cultures and their languages, things like that? Yeah, it is definitely a passion. I know it's a passion for our whole team and it's a mission for our whole team and all of ISS. I think it's just, as we talked about today, to uh, Maya Angelou said many times, you know, a basic need for every human being is to be seen and be heard. And I think conferring is a great way to live her message. And so I think the act of conferring is a way to be inclusive because I see everybody and I see everyone regularly. The other thing I think is like often in a conference, especially in a core class, I am going to bring mentor texts or examples of another thinker who's written about that or thought about that. And I want to make sure that my mentor text help kids gain what uh, brilliant educator Rudine Sims Bishop taught me years ago. And that is that we want our mentor text to be mirrors, windows, and sliding doors. We want our children to see themselves in the text that we share with them, the curriculum that we engage them in. We want them to feel represented Are they seeing themselves in the teaching staff? Are they seeing themselves in the classroom? Are they seeing themselves in the read-alouds that I engage them in, in the art that I share with them? Are they seeing and learning about people that they perceive to be different from themselves or who could be different from themselves? So that idea of the cultural lens and the ethnicity, the idea of heritage, the idea of multilingualism, we want to make conference is another vehicle for DEIJB in that we really give kids a lot of opportunity to share their voice and have a lot of choice. Even around choice and voice, like my habit in conferring and I tell the kids, let's set up this affirmation that if I come to sit with you for a conference and you look up at me, you're telling me it's a good time to have a conference. But if you don't look up at me, you're just respectfully saying, uh, Laura, Mrs. B, I'm in my flow. I can't really talk right now. But that way you're honoring the student on, on where they are with their practice. And I think the other thing we talked about is how much we try to really honor and deepen children's language learning by letting them, encouraging them prompting them to use their strongest language, even in response to a conference, even if I don't share the language, let them think aloud in their strongest languages. Let them take notes in their strongest languages. I worry sometimes we are often schools where English is the 
language of instruction. And if we talk to our students and have over the years, sometimes the misunderstanding is that language is more, English language is more important. So everything I try to do, I try to champion and honor and get, encourage them to practice and use all their languages. And there's a lot of Ceci Gomez and so many other people have taught me that you know, you can give kids that opportunity to offstage rehearsal in their strongest language. Let them think and think aloud and write, not just in English, you know, let them write in the languages they feel more comfortable in. That way, too, in a lot of ways, you're honoring their family culture and who they are. So it's something, it's a question and a focus that I'm continuing to study myself and work on as a white person working with not always, you know, non-white students uh, and, you know, wanting to promote uh, connectedness and social justice. And I very much want to co-curriculum with my students and with my colleagues. One of the ways we've worked on, like, for example, social studies curriculum, I haven't grown up in some of the countries where I, I have the blessing of teaching now. So we really develop these incredibly edifying and meaningful co-teaching partnerships with the local staff because they have grown up there. They do know the culture. They do know people in the community who will come and speak with us or we can take expeditions out into the community. So you you try to find some great co-teaching partners and the kids and the local staff to bring more voices to the whole learning experience. And I think that's a big way that we work together to live that mission. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. Thank you so much for that, Laura. My next question goes back to actual practices for conferring. So what are some examples of authentic practices for conferring a classroom in the school community? Well, I think authentic practice is just, you know, you're having a real conversation and I'm not coming. I think part of it, Mike, is I try to ask questions I don't know the answer to. So I'm not then playing the gotcha game that a lot of Mm. us grew up with. I'm not coming with such a big set agenda that you got that one wrong. (laughs) You know, I'm coming genuinely curious about what that child's thinking, doing, writing, creating, innovating. And I think they get that after a while. At first, any healthy kid or especially a teenager is going to be suspect of, oh, she says they're having these 
conversations. He's carrying conversations and she just wants to get to know us. Right. I need to learn that I, I really am, am that. I'm wanting to get to know you. I'm wanting to hear your thinking, see your art or your work. So I just don't come with a big agenda. I come with a focus of what we've been learning. But here's the other thing. If you get into a conference, one way to have a very authentic conference is try to gauge how the person's feeling. Maybe talking about the academic focus isn't the right intention for that conference. Maybe their dog's been sick, their grandma's coming to visit, they're very worried about an upcoming test in their next class. So sometimes I often try to further what we're learning by having a conference. But again, first and foremost for me of the three reasons I confer is relationships. So I want to have a great relationship with that child. And the most authentic thing to do is to think about what is it that this child could benefit from in a conference with me? Is it the academic focus or is it more of a human, humane kind of caring, unconditional love focus? And that's always in my heart and in my head. Sit down for a conference, kind of quickly read, engage the situation. Should this be an academic focus or should it be one where I just show caring? Okay, thank you for sharing that. You bet. Laura, I'm curious, because you've mentioned a couple of times, like high schoolers are a little bit more skeptical of these comparing moments. Elementary schoolers maybe are a little less kind of focused in. And can you tell me some of the big similarities and differences and like the grade ranges and maybe what some of your suggestions would be to people working with secondary students versus primary students? Yeah, great, great question. Each class has this lovely continuum of learners in your class. So you, you know, all this is based on knowing your kids and responding to them individually. But broad stroke sweeps are little kids love to get the attention and that tends to go pretty well. What you'll have to be careful of for developmentally younger or chronologically younger kids is that they will want you to stay and you can end up in having really long conferences and not getting to everybody. But I think some kids at various ages, upper elementary, definitely middle school and high school, they'll worry about what I write down. So what I do in that case is sometimes wait to take my notes after I finish the conversation. Or I will share what I'm writing, and it's just shorthand to help me remember what the child's thinking and doing and what we talked about. But by deprivatizing and, you know, going public with how I'm taking notes and why I'm taking notes, you sort of see their body language relax, especially over time. And they realize I'm not playing that terrible gotcha game. And I'm not writing down everything they do wrong. That tends to be what a lot of children are worried about is that the conference is me writing down or paying attention to what they do wrong. That's why I have the ritual of listen, name, and nudge. The second ritual is name. I'm naming something they do really well. So that it's very much a strengths, asset building, growth mindset experience. It's not that I'm never paying attention to what they can't do yet, but I don't focus on that as much. And I try to reiterate a lot of things that I'm naming they can do well. As I name them with a child, they are not yet a habit of mind. So that's why it often can become important to name it and also can become important to nudge it for them to keep doing. But I think that, you know, just knowing your kids and knowing 
Yeah, just have those heart to hearts with them that what conferences all are about are about and why we're having them is to get to know them better. And whatever grade level I work with, the more that they see that is the case, I'm really interested in getting to know them. I'm not coming with any questions that are meant to humiliate them. I'm, I'm coming with very genuine curiosity. That tends to work well. But like I said, sometimes you'll notice it's just better if you take notes away from as you step away from the conference. And then the other thing is, I think for lots of kids in lots of different grade levels, you, you will find that sometimes having a conference, you'll speak very quietly because <laughs> you're speaking to that one child or maybe it becomes a more intimate you know, topic that they're thinking about or writing about. But then there are other times where I very purposely speak a little louder or start to include the other kids that are sitting around us because I'm noticing that it's something that would mean something to them. Kids just sometimes jump in and, and want to offer help to that, to that child or correct, you know, fill out something I said in a much better way. The kids are always much better teachers of each other than I am. But I think if you get to know your kids and you get to know their personalities in any classroom, pre-K through 12 or pre-K through graduate school, you're going to have some shy kids. You're going to have some kids who are really comfortable with conferring. And you just learn an ebb and flow of how to make that work. One of the things I did say when you hit that I don't know factor, because that's going to come up different grade levels or times too, is to say, yeah, I know you don't know, but if you did know, what would you say? <laughs> or yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know either. So, but what, what should we tell our kindergarten buddy about that? So you just try to give it a little bit different energy and take them out of the hot seat as much as possible. Thanks for that, Laura. Uh, you spoke about Making sure that you take notes, but making sure you don't take notes in, uh, in front of the, the students and such. I wanted to know in regards, what's going on in that uh, note-taking booklet? Uh, earlier, you spoke about uh, different strategies and setups that people should have uh, yeah. or could have. That, so could you just speak a little bit more yeah. about that? Yeah, it's it's a really important point, Mike. Uh, it's so personal. So find a, a system and a structure in a way that works for you, whether that's your iPad, a clipboard, your laptop. Do you want to take your notes electronically, digitally, or do you want to you know use a hard copy? Are you in a country where you have reliable internet? I've taught in a lot of countries with our ISS schools where internet is not as reliable or we couldn't use Google in China when I lived there. So just went back to the good old clipboard. But one of the things we were talking about is whatever way you do it, make it work for you. The notes are only for you. They only have to make sense to you. And if you can, try to make them basically one page. And that is because you can see who you've met with and who you haven't met with in a given week. You can also start to look for patterns of proficiency by highlighting your notes at some point. For me, it's usually by Thursday or Friday if I hadn't done it already. I start noticing or highlighting student strengths in blue and student needs in pink. And then the pink notes can no, uh, denote to me uh, maybe kids who potentially could be in a small group or clinic the next week, work together a short amount of time and get them untangled. But I think the notes just have to make sense to you. So I use a lot of shorthand. R for reading, W for writing, S, C for self-correction. You can put a line over words for repetition. Uh, find a shorthand that works for you in your particular academic context. 
You know, if you're a PE teacher, uh, it can be kind of hard to have an electronic device, but maybe you have a clipboard with the names on the left and a few notes at the top are the few focus points you're going after. And then next to that child's name, you can write a date or take a tally of when you're seeing them uh, able to demonstrate that uh, physical skill or that health knowledge or something like that. But you have to find uh, a way either through index cards, iPads, <laughs> you know, clipboards, some way that the system of taking notes makes sense. I tend to organize all mine in a teacher notebook or a portfolio. So all my conference record notes for each week go at the front of the notebook. Either that's a digital notebook or a hard copy notebook. And then underneath that, I have a file for each child where I can collect additional data, writing samples, or, you know, if you've got it digitally, it could be a seesaw video that you'd be using Flipgrid. But the idea is you've got a collection of evidence that over time helps you make your teaching decisions for the next week and certainly informs your evaluation of where that child is related to your priority standards at that point in time. Are they growing and making progress towards those priority standards? If they're not, what kind of adjustments do I need to make in my teaching? But the note-taking, again, it's just for you. It only needs to make sense to you. I will say sharing my notes, even just you know, that they're there in the notebook and meeting with parents about their child and they can see 12, 15, uh, eight months of notes that I've taken every week. And then their child's section in the teacher notebook or portfolio that illustrates their child's work. They know that I'm a professional. I see their body language relax. I see them lean in to our conversations more with a lot of trust that they know I'm being fair and I'm being thorough. So I uh, just really advocate, be gentle with yourself in finding a system that works really well for you and go with it. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Moniz, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens. My name is Scott Jamison and I'm the Global Collaborations Lead for Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at existing units through the lens of empathy to impact and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice, and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to co-design student leadership programs. Another way that we support educators is through our Global Citizenship Certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education, interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today. At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future. We look forward to working with you and we hope that together, our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future. Thank you for that. Molly Faye, did you have any other questions for Laura? I do. Just one more that's kind of not so much out of left field, but maybe like a personal <laughs> interest of mine. I think yeah. creativity is like a really beautiful way for 
opportunity yeah. to grow and personalize things. So how can you help specifically foster creativity in those conferring moments? And do you see that as an important aspect of a conferring practice? Yeah. Well, I think uh, part of it is to name it and honor it. And part of it is to, you know, maybe interview, ask, uh, I really feel or sense a lot of creativity here, imagination, innovation. Can you share your process with me? Would you be willing to teach the class? We're working so much on creativity, but a lot of people have that policeman uh, or critic in their head and they're not letting themselves just have a go and try. Would you be willing, Joe, Sarah, Sam, Emilio, Tron, whoever the child is, to share that with our class? Conferring uh, often gives me insights into kids' creativity and their willingness to have a go and take risks. When I don't see them being creative and take risks, or I see them being too guarded, like they wanted to put in the word jaguar, but they didn't know how to spell jaguar, so now that character became cat. Well, that changes it pretty dramatically. So, you know, we'll talk to kids about the importance of having a go in their work and in their practice and in their creativity. Sometimes I give them a little, you know, we have the nudge notes, but we also have like little you know, have a go, scraps of paper, sticky notes, because they don't want to mess up their (laughs) paper. So, you know, you can just think of some ways to doodle, hey, maybe draw it over here, or maybe, you know, just try it in a different way over here and it won't mess up your paper. Hopefully, over time, they'll be comfortable messing up their paper. But it's a great point you make. It can really shut kids down. But like I was saying, the other part of conferring I don't think we've had a chance to talk about too much is how often I use conferring to enlist co-teachers. Like I find some kid who's had a big breakthrough with fractions or plate tectonics or watercolors. And then I just ask them, will you come teach the next lesson with me? And creativity has so much to do with confidence and joy and having a go at things. So I think putting them in the teaching role as often and quickly as possible is a great way to affirm that their creativity, their willingness to be innovative was worth it. Love that. Love it so much. <laughs> and, really um, yeah, the last question is probably going to put you on the spot more than you felt the entire day, Laura. So if this yeah, is something you're comfortable doing, no worries. But could you maybe on the fly write a nudge note for either Mike and I, just so we can see like a live tangible ex- experience or example, I guess, of what you might what you might write on? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it could be just to, uh, for you all, since you're so brilliant, staying as compassionate and responsive and supportive as you are. Those qualities of your soul and spirits mean so much to us. And what you do by being there for us, what you do by taking care of behind the scenes efforts gives us more courage. So mine would be very much to continue what you're doing. And then I think just to know in a nudge note, to know how much you're cherished and appreciated and, and how much we're grateful for you because what you're doing is working. And so to continue dispositions, those habits of mind that you have, those would be my some of my nudge notes, which nudge notes end up can be uh, what to do next, but they can also be a love letter. So mine would be more of the love letter variety for you too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Got me all warm and fuzzy on this. <laughs> as cold as it is outside. <laughs> well, this is uh end of our 30 minutes together. Laura came by oh. so quick. 
It does. <laughs> uh, well, but I wanted to say thank you so much for being here and taking the time out to speak to us about conferring and how we could do that in a better manner in the future. Well, thank you for having me. I just adore you both. And I love our conferring community that we've been able to create together. So thank you. Uh, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you to listening for our Ask Me Anything podcast today. We'd like to extend our warmest gratitude to Laura Benson for joining us and enlightening us with our conferring strategies and practices. Her expertise and experience provided us in, with invaluable insights in how to engage in the equity field conferring that honors our students' cultures and multiple languages as we strive to create a learning community that continues to foster student growth and development. We recognize the importance of conferring and acknowledging that makes it a vital difference in nurturing our students' creativity and growth. Thank you again, Laura, for helping our students know that they matter and their thoughts are being and their thoughts are being heard. Join us next time for another episode on Ask Me Anything, where we'll explore the latest trends and ideas in international education. Till next time, my fellow educators. Bye bye. <laughs>